African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Well, thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa. You're listening to African Dialogue this hour. Remember, we come to you every Monday to Thursday at 11 o'clock Central African time. Thank you for joining us on our various platforms on a shortwave on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa. And also, if you're listening to us on DSTV, we're on Channel 802. And uh, we can also be found online on www.channelafrica.com. Well, today we're going to be looking at the reopening of the African Union. It has had some sittings in the last few days. And also we're going to be speaking around the new leadership of the African Union. We know that uh, Egypt is taking the reins of the chairmanship. What does that mean? Especially when you see the criticism around the human rights record of Egypt. And uh, we'll have our guests joining us just in a few minutes after our news update with Anne Musa. In the headlines, South Sudan's rebel leader Rahik Machar plans to return to the country in May. Sexual abuse of minors by Catholic priests set to dominate discussions at the Southern African Catholic Bishops' Conference meeting. And United States President Donald Trump confirms he will meet North Korea's leader Kim Jong-un. A very good morning. A United Nations envoy who visited South Sudan's rebel leader Rahik Machar at his exile home in Khartoum, Sudan, has confirmed that Machar is planning to return to Juba in May. David Shria last week met with Machar to discuss plans for a transitional government that will pave the way to elections under the terms of a peace plan signed in September. Shira says arrangements for Machar's return from Khartoum had not yet been decided. Machar briefly returned to Juba in October last year to attend a peace ceremony. The peace agreement brokered by Sudan reinstates Machar as vice president and is aimed at ending the brutal five-year war. Leader of South Africa's new political party, Good Patricia DeLole, says the country is sitting in a situation where there are loads of public land in all three spheres of government. DeLole launched a party manifesto for the 2019 general elections in Cape Town on Tuesday. On the issue of land, on the issue of how she intends on changing land apartheid developments, DeLille said, unfortunately, apartheid special planning has continued to perpetuate after 1994. 
people, we've got lots of government-owned land. It's all three spheres of government. And that public land must be used for public good. We must use spaces more effectively by building density, like in all major cities around the world. And in that way, you bring lots of people together in the same space, create, you know, build communities, don't just build houses. And so the appropriate spatial planning has not been dealt with effectively, and therefore we will go out and do land audits, find that land, and start building and stop talking about it. Sexual abuse of minors by Catholic priests, the upcoming general elections and domestic violence in South Africa are set to dominate discussions at the Southern African Catholic Bishops' Conference meeting in South Africa's coastal city of Durban. Bishops from across SEDAC countries have gathered for a week-long meeting in Marion Hill. The meeting is a precursor to the bishops' meeting with Pope Francis at the Vatican later this month. Sister Hermana Guild Makoro explains. The general elections that are coming in May, it's a discussion that the bishops are going to look at what do we say as a Catholic Church to the society out there. They will be looking at the violence that we see, the violence in family, the violence, political violence that we see. The bishops will be also looking at the sexual abuse issues that we hear of United States President Donald Trump has confirmed he will meet North Korea's leader Kim Jong-un on the 27th and 28th of this month for a second summit in Vietnam. A meeting in Singapore last June was the first between the two leaders in what Trump called a bold new diplomacy to discuss the denuclearization of the Korean peninsula. Trump also addressed the evolving political situation in Venezuela. Two weeks ago, the United States officially recognized the legitimate government of Venezuela and its new president, Juan Guaido. We stand with the Venezuelan people in their noble quest for freedom, and we condemn the brutality of the Maduro regime, whose socialist policies have turned that nation from being the wealthiest in South America into a state of abject poverty and despair. And finally, a senior official in the Taliban who has led peace negotiations with the United States has told the BBC that the group does not want to take control of Afghanistan through force. Sher Mohammed Abbas Danikzai says the Taliban realize they will not bring lasting peace by holding a monopoly of power, but instead wanted what he describes as an inclusive Islamic system. He called for an end to the war. Recapping the top stories, South Sudan's rebel leader Rahik Machar plans to return to the country in May. Sexual abuse of minors by Catholic priests sets to dominate discussions at the Southern African Catholic Bishops Conference meeting. And United States President Donald Trump confirms he will meet North Korea's leader Kim Jong-un.
Well, thank you, Anne, for that update. And uh, just a reminder that around 11.45 Central African time, we'll have our business news and thereafter we'll have our sports. Well, I just wanted to look at uh, some of uh, your thoughts that came out yesterday when we were asking around uh, the current uh, uh, political um, election uh, uh, election campaign that is taking place by various political parties. And uh, we were asking, do you think South Africa has a space for new political parties when uh, the current ruling party has been uh, uh, running the country for over 20 years? And uh, your thoughts were very interesting. Saddam Ahmed Goubet says, I don't think there's space uh, for new political parties. People that understand politics will support a political parties to have a seat in order to destroy the parliamentary powers within. That's another comment from Jula Nonyane. And today we're asking around uh, the African Union as uh, that is our topic uh, for the day. And we want to get your thoughts on that. So do go to our Channel Africa Facebook page and give us your thoughts on today's subject matter. We're looking at the reopening of the African Union and we're asking, do you think the African Union is still relevant and does it still serve the African people? What are your thoughts on that particular issue? I'll go to our Channel Africa Facebook page and give us your commentary there. Well, the African Union will hold its 32nd Ordinary Summit in Addis Ababa in Egypt uh, as Egypt assumes, rather, uh, the post of presidency of the continental body. We know that Egyptian President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi takes over the leadership of the African Union while he has been criticized uh, for a bad human rights record in his country. However, Egypt had styled itself as as the champion to improve intra-African trade and to restructure economic reforms on the African continent. Uh, The 32nd Ordinary Session of the Assembly of Heads of State and Government of the African Union will take place next week under the theme Refugees, Returnees and Internally Displaced Persons uh, Towards Durable Solutions to Enforce Displacement in Africa. Many issues are expected to be brought to the forefront such as conflict issues, economic integration and the reformation of the African Union instruments. Well, just joining us now, we have uh, Frank Mateis, who is the senior researcher at the Center for Governance Innovation at the University of Pretoria. We also connect with Babatunde Fakbaibo, who is an associate professor of international law at the University of South Africa. Let me start with you, Frank, in terms of this particular conversation. We know what has been highlighted right now and has been center stage is the fact that now we're seeing Egypt taking over the chairmanship of the African Union. What are your thoughts around that? What is sticking out when it comes to that particular decision to say that Egypt uh, should take on that role? Um, well, well, good morning to you and, and thanks for having me. Well, e- Egypt has a, has a long history with the African Union and, and the organization of African unity. If you think back to the 50s and 60s when, when President Nasser was one of the key founders of, of the Organization of African Unity, but then in, uh, in the last uh, one or two decades, this influence has fluctuated a bit. And if you, if you think back just a few years, in 2013, the African Union actually sanctioned Egypt um, based on the coup d'etat that, that happened back then that was led by 
by uh, now President al-Sisi, so um, there was a suspension of membership. But Egypt was fairly soon readmitted, which also sends out a signal that, well, even though the African Union condemns what it calls unconstitutional changes of government, um, now with al-Sisi being chosen as a chairperson, this is also a symbol that, well, we we are opposed to, to, to coup d'etat, but eventually we we'll recognize leaders that come into, into power in that way if they just stick around long enough. Well, let's look at uh, the human rights record that has been brought forward by a lot of critics uh, to this particular decision. Just recently, we even heard French uh, President uh, Emmanuel Macron, who has said that uh, human rights in Egypt were perceived as worse now than under former strongman Hosni Mubarak, who was toppled by protests in 2000 in election. Do you think this factor was supposed to be looked at before appointing Egypt and ceasing the presidency of the continental body, Frank? Well, it, 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 it should, at least in principle, um, be an issue, but, um, but we know that there are many priorities that, uh, that, that come into, into play when this decision is made and who, who, should, um, who should share this. So it's, it's certainly not that um, all previous chairpersons have been... Um, mm. have been um, uh, perfect Democrats and and um, human rights protectors in in the past. So this is not necessarily the main criteria in in, in practice. So we see that, that economic rationales, um, but also the the, the the new diplomacy of Egypt and throughout the continent, um, its commitment to kind of solve the potential conflict around the Nile Basin uh, in, a, in a cooperative way. Um, it's appealed to, to certain reforms within the African Union and also the fact that um, the Egypt is the third biggest economy in Africa and it's, mm. and it's uh, one of the so-called big fives in the African Union. So it's one of those members that pays most of the budget of member contributions, so which make Egypt a very important um, member nonetheless. Let me bring in Babatunde Fagbaibo, who is an Associate Professor of International Law at the University of South Africa. Babatunde, thank you for giving us your time today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Now, we're looking at this particular issue, and, and you know what is interesting that's coming from Frank is the f- fact that uh, historically, when it comes to the chairmanship of the African Union, those who chair it don't necessarily have to have an ethically clean reputation, but rather the economic uh, strategy of the African Union is probably centralized when making that decision. Is that a good thing? Um, you see, uh, there's one of the key issues. I mean, when we look at the African Union, I think we have to be able to 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 not um, discuss issues of symbolism. Um, you know, uh, as an isolated concept. Mm. You know, symbolism should actually underline the political, economic, and the legal processes. So, what do I mean by this? The optics are very, 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 very important when you're dealing with issues as sensitive as this. Yes. The chair, of, the chair of the AU Assembly um, is only a ceremonial chair. Um, of course, he holds the position for a year, and he has to work, you know, he or she um, has to work with the AU Commission and, you know, and everything. And considering the fact that the AU Assembly, again, is the most powerful organ of the African Union, so it's both the legislature and, you know, the executive and the judiciary all rolled together into one. Now, 
the optics are very, very important. If you have an organization that is built on the principles of democratic governance, I mean, you look at the Articles 3 and 4 of the AU Constitutive Act, and of course, all other protocols and normative documents that flow from there, it is very important that when you are taking decisions like this, you have to look at all those factors. I mean, at some point in the AU, um, during the Darfur crisis, when um, it was the time, uh, the, the time for the um, for uh, the Sudanese president to become the chair of the AU Assembly, mm. um, the AU took a decision. It was very, very unusual, very, very, very unusual of the AU took a decision to defy that um, because of the optics as well, not to make him the AU um, AU Assembly chair at that point in time. So for me. If we want to, if we're taking this issue seriously, issue of consolidating and entrenching democratic values on the continent, I think we cannot dissociate symbolism of, or, or symbolism and how that translates into optics of mm-hmm. that position and whoever you put yeah. uh, in charge of that position. With that said, yeah. Babatunde, what do you say to the fact that that seems to not be the consideration? And as was highlighted by Frank correctly, the fact yeah. that there are other uh, factors that seem to be centralized, especially when you look at uh, uh, the economies of uh, yes. uh, the continent, when you look at also uh, just how also maybe uh, the relationships of the Middle East could be tried to be brought in closer uh, to mm. uh, the African Union, considering Egypt also having some relations with some of those uh, uh, countries. Yes, you see, um, there's no, there are not two, I mean, there's no doubt about the fact that um, Egypt is a regional hegemon, both within Africa and also in the Middle East, um, and it's very strategic as well. And to have Egypt, I mean, as one of the big five, as one of the biggest economies on the continent, you know, look, that that is that. You see, you look at all of those considerations. But what I'm, what what is of great concern? is the kind of message that has been sent. Now, if you look at um, uh, the, the agenda uh, as publicized by um, General Sisi uh, of what he will be doing in year 2019 as the chair of the EU Assembly, chair, chair, chairperson of the EU Assembly, um, he has about five very, very interesting um, things he will be doing. But when you read through it, it's very, quite interesting, which is also not ironic, which actually um, one should not be so surprised about it, that issue of issues of democratic governance is not even featured. Issues of democracy and fundamental rights was not even featured in one of the things or, 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 or one, of, one of the fundamental objectives um, that he intends to achieve in 2019. Now, of course, it makes a lot of sense. Um, this is a man who is not exactly a Democrat, um, who is a dictator. So it would, I mean, it would actually be mm-hmm. against character for him to, to talk about that. So we look at all of those things. Look, um, and the reason why, I've, um, why I started my, my statement, mm-hmm. uh, the, initial question, uh, the initial answer, by saying we, we cannot mm-hmm. discuss the issue of symbolism and optics. We cannot separate it from issues of international relations and um, politics and economics and all of those things. We need to find a way to balance mm-hmm. those things so that the message the EU is sending to the, to, to the masses of the people of this continent is that issues of democratic values and fundamental values is very important mm-hmm. and it is centralized when certain decisions, key decisions are taken about regionalism in, on the continent. Mm. Well, that's not the case, Frank. What, what is your response to some of the notions that are being brought forward by Babatunde? Uh, 
Um, I, I would agree with, with, with the colleagues that um, the role of the chairmanship is, of course, limited. There's only so much that you can do, and uh, uh, this is why I would highlight again the, the issue of status and, and legitimacy that uh, this, um, this chairman position provides to OTC, particularly after having been uh, uh, sanctioned after uh, after uh, Egypt having been sanctioned just a few years ago. So this this really marks a symbolic entry back onto the international scene and obviously the African scene um, in, in particular. And um, uh, g- going back to those priorities that, that Egypt um, has, so I would, I would concur uh, absolutely that, that um, human rights and democracy is not high on the agenda, um, but there, there are an, uh, a few other items that um, uh, where Egypt might uh, might be able to, to help the African Union move ahead uh, in terms of, of, of trade, in terms of um, advancing and possibly bringing into force the African continental free trade area, um, mm. where Egypt has been one of one of the proponents. It hasn't yet ratified it, but um, but being on the spot as a chairperson might be an extra incentive to um, to add that ratification and to to help uh, bring uh, the free trade area into hmm. um, into life. Well, I'm going to take a quick break. We're joined by Frank Mateus, who is a senior researcher at the Center for Governance Innovation at uh, the University of Pretoria. He's not alone with us. We have uh, Babatunde Fagbayibo, who's an associate professor of international law at the University of South Africa. Remember, we're asking the question on our social media around the topic of today in terms of what do you think of the African Union as a body in itself? Uh, remember, you can go to our Facebook page and give us your thoughts. Your thoughts always change the texture of the conversation. We're asking, do you think the African Union is still relevant and does it still serve the interests of African people? You can give us your thoughts there on our Channel Africa page. Let's take a quick break and then we'll be back after this. The 14th of February is Valentine's Day when couples and lovers celebrate their love for each other. Join Channel Africa on Friday the 15th of this month between 1200 hours to 1500 hours Central African time as we celebrate one love for Africa with our African brothers and sisters all over the continent. Let's dismantle prejudice and work towards achieving greater unity and solidarity between African countries and Africans as a whole. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa. You're listening to African Dialogue with me, Benjamin Mushatama. We come to you every Monday to Thursday, uh, Central African time at 11 o'clock in the morning. Uh, so thank you for joining us. Uh, remember, you can give us your thoughts on our Facebook page, Channel Africa. We're asking, do you think uh, that uh, the African Union is still relevant to us ordinary citizens? Do you still think that it serves mine and yours interests? Uh, what are your thoughts on 
on that. And speaking about interest, 2019 is uh, an important year for uh, the continent, just like every other year. Uh, Frank, uh, coming back to you, what do you think are going to be the central issues that are going to be expected this year around? I know that uh, the theme already for this year's uh, opening summit is refugees, returnees, and internally displaced persons. Uh, Do you think that is linked to the pressing issues on the African continent? Do you think that is going to be central as a conversation this year? It it certainly is going to be an an important topic. Those internally where most of the migration happens within Africa, but also uh, internationally, particularly in interaction with with Europe and the European Union, um, which have made, made it very clear that this is a central topic that they want to deal with the African Union on the whole. Um, however, there's a number of other issues that are that are on uh, on the table that, that will continue to um, to occupy us, uh, and particularly the the whole reform of the African Union. So when you ask, well, is the AU still relevant, or to what degree is it relevant? And it's it is still in a process of of reinventing itself into reforming, into making it uh, more autonomous, more independent, but also more capable of fulfilling its, its mandate. And so we are, we're, we're still in the middle of um, negotiation between the African Union and the United States as to how much independence should the African Union have, and in particular how much financial independence should it have. So we, we said earlier that well, Egypt is one of the main contributors to, um, to the budget um, from from the member side, um, and the African Union would like to move away from being dependent on national governments deciding um, how much they, they, they contribute to the activities of it, it has some sort of tax or sometimes of, of automatic uh, levy um, that would um, that would help this, and Egypt has not been a big supporter of that idea, and at the same time we still have the issue of external dependence, so that most of the African Union activities are being funded from outside, from the European Union and other international donors, and there also there's still this debate. So how much how much independence does the African Union need uh, financially, both from national individual governments and from uh, from outside and donors? So I think this will certainly be a big issue that will come up, even though it's not the the main theme of the year. Mm. But the Frank has almost summed up uh, some of the main themes that we're going to be talking about in this discussion uh, because there are a lot of areas of uh, uh, contention around the African Union. And the point that he brought in, which has been uh, a big, big issue, is uh, the legal arms of the African Union, the fact that they don't actually seem to be actually having any weight, especially when you look at an, uh, an institution such as the Pan-African Parliament and the discussion that has been happening there for years and years and years, and there seems to be no real outcome under that discussion, the fact that uh, instruments such as the Pan-African Parliament don't have a legal are not seen rather as legal instruments to the AU. Uh, do you think that the AU would come to some point of uh, deciding how to move things forward in this regard? Because clearly we've been speaking about this for years and it doesn't mm. seem to actually come to a resolution. Yes. Um, I, uh, look, I wish I could sit here and give you a very optimistic view 
about the AU coming to a decision in 2019 about the Pan-African Parliament, but um, unfortunately, I don't see the AU doing anything about it. Um, I don't see the AU moving an inch with regards to empowering the Pan-African Parliament, and it's very important to empower the Pan-African Parliament, and I mean, we've seen processes. I think um, the Malabo Protocol, which uh, in 2014, the AU, the only thing the AU did was to just empower the Pan-African Parliament to make model laws, which, I mean, <laughs> that's nothing. I mean, it's, there's no legal ramifications to it. So a model law is just by telling states what to do and the guidelines. If they don't do it, there are no legal implications. Um, for, for not doing that. So I don't see the AU uh, moving an inch with regards to that. What the AU will do this year, um, I think more investment and more attention will be directed towards, of course, activating the African continental free trade area, which was um, um, agreed, uh, which was adopted in Kigali, uh, in, uh, last year mm. in Kigali. Mm. Um, and you can see there's a momentum towards it at, as at the last count you, they, you needed 22 countries to ratify it for it to become law. They have secured 18 thus far. So they need just four. Um, so we are going to get that. I mean, they will, they will get it. I mean, Nigeria is already talking about, you know, uh, I'm, I'm signing and things like that. So there will be more attention devoted to negotiations around African continental free trade area, and also things that are associated with it. So, for example, negotiating the Post-Cotonou um, agreement with the, EU, with the European Union, which expires in February 2020. The AU position is very clear that it wants to negotiate. It wants Africa to negotiate as a group, as a team, um, and for Africa to be, to be, to be removed from the, um, the ACT, the African, Caribbean, and Pacific groups of state um, team, so that the, I mean, it's in line with the Pan-African, um, you know, Pan-African Pan objectives mm. of Africa speaking with one voice. Um, so there would be lots of activities around that, looking at how that aligns with um, uh, um, operationalizing African continental free trade area. There will also be discussions around uh, about the free movement of peoples. Remember that um, the AU at this summit um, would definitely be talking about um, the, the, the passport, the African Union passport, which was envisaged to be um, initially the, the, the Afri Agenda 2063 had envisaged that it will be adopted in 2018, yeah. but it's likely going to be adopted now, um, uh, having a common passport for the entire continent. So those are the issues I think the AU, and it's so unfortunate yeah. that these issues will not be discussed in the context of Pan-African Parliament, because Pan-African Parliament, again, has a central role to play yeah. in some of these decisions, yeah. in making laws, um, and also holding people, holding member states and other organs of the AU accountable in terms of implementation of the structures and strategies. Mm. I think that is something that is wanting within uh, the African Union. It's sidelining of the Pan-African Parliament, ironically, which is its own instrument, Babatunde. If we continue to see this deficit, these ambitions that you've highlighted around inter-trade and also the free movement of people within the continent, how do you think they can be implemented without actually reconstructing the elements within the Pan-African Parliament's mandate? Um, you see, there are, there are ways of doing that. Remember, the AU has already rendered, so far, thus far, it's rendered the Pan-African Parliament inefficient. Um, it's not given it sufficient um, impetus for it to operate. So it is so easy. And if you look at all of the discussions in the EU around these things, 
there's really no discussion talking about how to bring the Pan-African Parliament to the center. The main discussion is about bringing the African Union Commission, which is like the executive arm of the African Union, to the center or to mm. the core of it. So that's what they are going to push, go ahead with. Because, mm. I mean, look, uh, politicians, political elites, and you know, uh, um, AU, AU technocrats um, would not want to, you know, um, engage in you know discussions or debates around Pan-African Parliament because they know that there's no intention, <laughs> at least in the foreseeable future, to bring this um, to, to to empower the Pan-African Parliament. So. I think the activities or the discussions are centered around empowering the African Union Commission. And even if you look at the Kagame report and all of the issues that have followed the Kagame report, mm. it is about empowering the African Union Commission to be able to play a key role. And remember, the African Union Commission is also the engine room of the, of, of, mm. of the union. Mm. Mm. So to empower it to be able to supervise the implementation of, of some of this. And so unfortunately, mm. the, the Pan-African Parliament has been sidelined in this process. Let, let, let me take that point back to Frank, because I think it's an important one. If we're going to strengthen the position of the Commission itself, is there mm. need for the Pan-African Parliament, Frank? Um, well, in, if, if it receives a proper mandate, then yes. I mean, if, it, if it just continues um, to be essentially... Uh, a talk shop or a venue where occasionally national uh, members of, of, of parliament come together. Uh, this is still something that is, that is nice in terms of, of, of exchange and familiarizing um, uh, members of parliament with each other. If, if it doesn't receive a proper mandate that it can actually uh, take part into a legislative process or um, have any other meaningful way in uh, in, in monitoring um, the uh, the executive arm of the commission, um, then it will just continue to be more of a decorative um, element. But if we truly want to be the, the African Union to have um, to have a proper division of power and to have um, a strong mandate, then a strong Pan African Parliament would be necessary. And in terms of other the reforms, uh, w- what are your thoughts? What, what do you think would we also be prioritized, Frank? We're speaking about uh, the issue of the African passport being cemented. Uh, what are your thoughts on other issues? Well, one, one other issue that, that, that Batumi also uh, mentioned was is the uh, post cotonou negotiations with the European Union, and sure. that puts again uh, Egypt on the spot. Um, because one of one of the big challenges uh, these negotiations of the future of EU-Africa relations is that so far the trade relations and also the development relations have been between the EU and the so-called ACP countries of Africa, like the Caribbean and in the Pacific, which exclude Northern Africa. So it's 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 largely all of the sub-Saharan. Um, African countries in, in, in one group, um, and so the the African Union has taken the stance that well, there should be one African position which includes the North African countries. So, if there is any trade negotiation in the future to be signed between Europe um, and, and Africa, it should be on a bicontinental level, and this puts. Egypt also in a bit of a difficult spot because on um, on the one side it is committed to uh, to the African Union and mm-hmm. even also this year, but on the other side it already benefits 
from having separate agreements that have been negotiated um, with the European Union. It benefits from being one of the Mediterranean countries. So um, Egypt plays on different levels um, on its on its foreign policy, and it, it's, it seems to be relatively reluctant to buy into a common African position if it already has a framework in place with the, with the European Union that it finds more beneficial. Mm. Well, let me take a quick break and then we're going to have our final segment of the discussion. And uh, when we come back, uh, we can speak around the fact that this year is also uh, going to be a year of elections. Uh, two of the biggest economies on the continent, Nigeria and South Africa, having the elections this year. How important is the African Union to make sure that uh, they have uh, or they strengthen the entrenchment within making sure that democratization is strengthened on the African continent. Hey, if you're just joining us now, we've got Frank Mateus, Senior Researcher at the Center for Governance Innovation at the University of Pretoria. And joining us is Babatunda Fagbayibo, Associate Professor of International Law at the University of South Africa. Let's quickly take a break and then we'll have a final section of this discussion. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective. Guess what? You can now listen to Channel Africa using Silozi, Chinyanja, Kiswahili, Portuguese, French and English, giving you an African perspective. Hi, my name is Tandalunyenzovo and you are listening to Channel Africa. We are Channel Africa from an African perspective. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Well, thank you for joining us today. We're asking you the question on our social media. Do you think the African Union is still relevant and does it serve African people? Remember, go to our Channel Africa Facebook page. We'll read uh, some of the commentaries uh, on our program. Uh, well, I've got Babatunde Fakbayibo, Associate Professor of International Law at the University of South Africa. Frank Mateis, Senior Researcher at the Center for Governance Innovation at the University of Pretoria. Well, let me come to you, Babatunde, in terms of of democratization that's the big question you were asking earlier on in terms of uh, uh, the principles that uh, uh, the AU has aligned itself to are those uh, that have a democratic nature to it and we know that this year we have a few elections coming through as I mentioned before the break South Africa Nigeria uh, two big economies that are going to be going to the polls this year how important is it that the AU uh, makes itself uh, uh, seen in those elections as uh, uh, being a monitoring institution? It is of serious importance um, that the AU, of course, because the AU, again, um, is, is backed by its constitutive act, number one, and also backed by its African Charter of Democracy, Election and Governance, ACDEG, which is very, very fundamental and gives guidelines on how countries should conduct elections and um, should also our governments should ensure that there's a level playing field between the incumbent and opposition parties. Um, so these two, um, the, 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 the AU would actually be under serious spotlight this year because these two regional hegemons or continental hegemons would actually be going to polls. Um, 
at, at least with, with South Africa, um, judging by reports and, of course, based on experience, um, the AU might not have much to do because it has strong institutions, um, strong electoral institutions, strong judicial institutions, at least to be able to minimize the incidence of um, electoral uh, fraud and electoral chisonry. Um, on the other side, Nigeria, um, if you're reading reports, you'd see that there's been serious concerns raised about even issues prior to the elections. And you see the AU has been very, very silent. Um, you've had external powers, you know, talking about... Um, and, and releasing very cautious reports about the, the, the activities of the ruling party in Nigeria, or the, the, especially the suspension of the chief justice of Nigeria, who, um, um, uh, who, who would um, be involved in adjudicating or be involved in very central in terms of adjudicating presidential, um, uh, uh, you know, post-election uh, um, disputes. So you see all of those things, and um, the question of what the AU should be able to do in this case is to be able to be more active and move beyond um, just going into a place and um, monitoring the elections and being very careful about making um, uh, decisions, decisions that actually tally, uh, that are in point with mm. its uh, uh, normative values. Mm. Um, so you see in most cases the AU would end up congratulating even the incumbent, you know, in spite of, in spite of um, serious, um, serious electoral fraud. I mean, you've seen cases like that in Zambia. Um, you've seen cases, um, of course, in the recently concluded election, even in, in the DRC. So you've seen and the AU has exactly not shown itself to be a legitimate institution in terms of, um, in terms of monitoring mm. elections and in terms of, again, uh, asserting itself uh, uh, during um, in mm -hmm. cases of electoral fraud and, and, and all of those things. So in case of Nigeria, you see the AU would have uh, a lot. Uh, they, I'm, I'm sure watchers in the AU are already um, readying themselves for for issues that might arise from the elections. Mm -hmm. But with South Africa, um, I think there would be uh, there, there's, uh, there's, there's, there's some relative confidence mm. in, the, in the sense that the AU will not have much to do there and will not be on that spotlight, actually, as a matter of fact, mm. because of the strong institutions that exist um, um, within, within the system. Frank, what's your thoughts on Babatunde's uh, critical viewpoints there on the African Union's uh, uh, implementation when it comes to electioneering? Uh, because you could say the same around Zimbabwe. They, very, they were very muted uh, when it came to the result of Zimbabwe. And also, as was alluded to, Babatunde, we saw them kind of almost silence when it came to the DRC context. It's what, what we see was within the African Union is, is what I would call almost an obsession with the term unconstitutional change of government. So, so this, is, this seems to be the main thing that matters uh, with, within the, 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 the African Union, which doesn't say much about the quality uh, of, of democracy or the quality of, of the election, but it's, it's, it's mainly about whether uh, the, the, the change of government happens through a coup d'etat or some kind of push, um, or if it's, if it's happening through the ballot, even if the ballot um, is, is, is rigged. And so, so what we've seen in, in, in the past, and we see it with um, uh, Al-Fisi taking over the, the, the chairperson, that even if you come to, uh, into power through a coup d'etat, if you do it successfully, eventually the the, the AU will, will, will come to um, will come to uh, accept you. And I would concur with what Tundin saying. Well, um, 
massive outbreaks of violence. Um, uh, fortunately, we are likely to, to, to see any unconstitutional change of government um, in, in, in South Africa around these elections. So, so the EU, AU will be left on the spot. But what is also interesting is to ask the question the other way around. Will the um, elections in Nigeria and, and South Africa have any effect on the African Union? And that's, it, it's very telling about um, the, the, the weight and importance that's been given to the African Union within political campaigns, which is very little. There's very little debate or discussions about what should be uh, the role of South Africa in the African Union or of Nigeria in the African Union. What what stance should we take or what um, what uh, would Party A or Party B advocate in in, uh, in moving forward or in reforming the African Union? And there we we we, we hear rhetoric. Um, commitment to uh, pan-Africanism, but there's very little debate um, in, um, in during the election time about what should be the role of these countries um, in, in the African Union, which is a bit of a pity, and, but which also tells you that maybe the, the relevance of the African Union is not well appreciated. Mm. Well, I've run out of time. I still had a few more questions for you, but we've got two minutes. I just have a final question in terms of uh, South Africa still having a representation within the UN Security Council representing the continent. And uh, just in 30 seconds for each of you, let me start with you, Baba Tunde. How do you think the AU can use this to assert the, the voice of the uh, continental body within uh, the, the UN structures? Um, I think, yes, the EU should leverage on the fact that um, South Africa is a democratic state, although in some cases um, South Africa ends up acting... Uh, um, Almost as know, a defense. <laughs> yes, I mean, so, 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 so they should leverage on that fact and be able to, to use South Africa's at least democratic um, um, credentials um, so that South Africa will be able to push for things um, at, at the UN Security Council and be able to push for entrenchment and, um, and also the, uh, of democracy across the continent and also to minimize issues of um, conflict and um, issues mm-hmm. that actually end up becoming um, and leading to large-scale conflicts on, on the continent. Hopefully, South Africa will be able to do that. Well, I've run out of time. Thank you to both of you. I wanted to get a final sentiment from Frank, but hey, I've, I see that uh, my newsreaders already arrived here. But thank you to Frank Matei, Senior Researcher at the Center for Governance Innovation at the University of Pretoria. Having the last say was Baba Tunde Fakbayibo, the Associate Professor of International Law at the University of South Africa. Gents, it's been a good one. Thank you very much. It's 11.45 Central African time. Let's uh, quickly move on. Tracy Baumgard is walking into the studio. She's going to give us our business news. Thank you, Benjamin. South African President Cyril Ramaphosa has again allayed investors' fears on government's move to expropriate land without compensation. Speaking at the annual Manin and Daba conference underway in Cape Town, he presented South Africa as an attractive investment destination with many opportunities, especially in Manin. Ramaphosa says expropriation of land will be done in accordance with the Constitution. Ramaphosa will be the first president of the country to address the annual mining in Daba. This is the gathering of the world's most influential stakeholders and decision makers having an interest in mining on the African continent.
Ramaphosa sees mining sector as a key in his investment drive. Apologies for the incorrect sound. A proposal by the two biggest millers to import genetically modified crops into Namibia has divided opinion in the agriculture sector, with one side saying local grain producers will be victims of a market that will favor South African products. The government's agricultural funding agency, AgriBusDev, says the proposal by Namib Mills and Bokomo to import genetically modified crops could negatively affect local producers. The two companies had placed adverts in newspapers since last year saying they want to apply for permits from the Biosafety Council of Namibia to import genetically modified maize and feeds for a year from South Africa due to the maize shortages in the country. High import duties and hefty fees and tariffs, including a recently introduced 175 US dollar per container agreement, appear to be forcing more Liberian businesses and individuals to bypass the Liberia Revenue Authority and the National Port Authority. This by using poorly manned borders between Liberia and next-door neighbours, Guinea and Sierra Leone, to bring goods into the country. The most recent involved a consignment of Heineken beer discovered on a broken-down truck in the Gardnersville area north of the capital, Monrovia. Photographs of the consignment and a statement from the commerce inspector showed several cartons of Heineken on a truck reportedly out of Guinea. When Liberian authorities were called to the scene, it was revealed that the consignment belonged to an unknown business entity and not Abu Jaudi and Azar Trading Company, which is the only company licensed to import Heineken in Liberia. Botswana is ranked 34th least corrupt country out of 180 countries, according to Transparency International Corruption Perception Index, released on Tuesday. The survey, named Corruption Perception Index, ranks countries by their perceived levels of public sector corruption. Experts and business people use a scale of 0 to 100, where 0 is highly corrupt and 100 very clean. According to fresh information provided by the ranking agency for 2018, Botswana scored 61 out of 100. The U.S. dollar strengthened an overnight trade following President Donald Trump's State of the Union address in which he announced, among other things, a second summit with North Korean leader Kim Jong-un at the end of the month. The building of a border wall between Mexico and the U.S. and infrastructure projects without saying how these will be funded. The stronger dollar has weakened the South African rand as well as commodity prices slightly. In early Johannesburg stock exchange trade, the rand was at 13.43 to the dollar, gold at $1,312 and platinum at $812 per ounce, while the price of Brent crude was $61.90 a barrel. The U.S. dollar is trading at 359.89 Nigerian Naira, 10.15 Botswana Pula, at 99.40 Kenyan Shilling, and at 11.88 Zambian Kwacha. In BRICS currencies, one U.S. dollar will cost you 3.66 Brazilian Hail, 65.54 Russian Ruble, 71.56 Indian Rupee, 6.76 Chinese Yuan, and a 13.38 South African Rand. The U.S. dollar is also trading at 76 pence to the British pound and at 87 cents to the euro. 
Gold is trading at $1,314 and platinum at $813 per ounce. The price of Brent crude oil is at $62.10 a barrel. For Channel Africa News, I'm Tracy Bumgard. Well, thank you so much, Tracy. We've got Tafila Lingwati standing by to give us our sports.